Connell Tribune, Thursday 9th of May 2019. Our revenge is the laughter of our children. 38 years ago last Sunday, Bobby Sands died in hunger strike in Long Cash after 66 long, excruciating days refusing prison food. He's dead now over a decade longer than he actually lived. His name known the world over as a comic conic image on the Falls Road mural imprinted in the minds of the thousands of tourists who travel from all parts of the world to stroll along the falls in the May sunshine. Bobby Sands was a young man, just 27, married with a baby son, an IRA volunteer and the MP for Fermanagh, South Tyrone. Elected with a larger vote than the Iron Lady Thatcher, over 30,000 votes. The woman he faced down during those 66 days to defiantly say that he was a political prisoner. And no matter what the British government tried to do, they would never break the prisoner's resolution to defeat them. It's ironic Bobby Sands' funeral brought 100,000 onto the streets of West Belfast. Thatcher's funeral brought derision from those same streets and the mining villages in Yorkshire, Blantyre Scotland, the Welsh Valleys and the working class favelas of Buenos Aires where the three hundred young cadets she sent to the bottom of the sea came from. The most hated individual in my lifetime, I who has never held hatred for any human being, but in this case I make an exception. Bobby Sands holds a fascination for most people. His name trips easily off the lips of people worldwide. A 27-year-old who had everything to live for, but bid it all farewell. His wee boy, his mother, his life, his friends and comrades. He endured to the death so that he would never be classed as anything other than a political prisoner. He followed in the tradition of Terence McSweeney and Frank Stagg and the ancient pre-Christian Brehan laws when hunger striking outside the homes of higher authority who did wrong was the way for those aggrieved. Bobby Sands knew history, an avid reader and writer. He wrote Michael Hatton and Back Home in Derry while confined to the H-Plucks. He was a raconteur and regaled his comrades with the stories of Jet, who defied his US Army General Dad through his, read the stories through a small gap in the cell door a great singer and footballer, he had so much to live for, but after four years of hell in the blocks, it was the, it was the final episode in his young life. I knew Bobby Sands back in the 70s. We both had played football in the Down and Connor League. He was star of the sea, I, Holy Trinity, and indeed a certain Martin O'Neill with Rosario. We were both lifted just after Operation Motorman in 72, just after Bloody Friday, he was spent time in Crumman Road Jail, then in the cages in Long Cage. I played football with him in the centre of the camp, where one night in 74 we congregated after burning the place to the ground and awaiting retribution from the army in the morning. Along with others, we embraced education within the cages, edited news sheets, wrote articles about Connolly and Marx, learned Irish, delivered lectures in political struggle, and prepared to return to the streets better informed in life. Unfortunately for Bobby, his time in the streets wouldn't last very long. And along with fellow hunger striker Joe McDonnell, he was recaptured after a bomb and gun battle with the RUC. He'd never see the streets of freedom again. And of course, we would never meet again. Coincidentally, we were down the city centre that day and bumped into Shauna Walsh, one of Bobby's closest friends. He told, it he'd been, told us he'd been lifted again. 
Shauna wouldn't fare much better and indeed spent the most of the next 20 years back in Long Cash. Now Sinn Féin Belfast City Councillor, fittily re-elected at the weekend, is also the guy who announced on satellite TV in 2005 that the IRA's long war was over. I have an ulterior motive for writing this article this week. Will we never met again, my sister Bernadette would in a sense. She was the girl paper who played at Bobby Sands' funeral, leading over 100,000 mourners in a meandering slow walk from his home in Twinbrook down through Andersonstown to Milltown Cemetery. Along with the mail paper, they shared the duties providing lamenting music to the sad procession. Bernadette was a talented musician playing both the pipes and the fiddle, taken after my granddad, old Johnny, Russell the blacksmith and a talented fiddle player in his time. My sister played in the pipe band in Belfast, the Joe McKelvey Pipers, named after one of the four Republicans executed during the Civil War. She actually played at her wedding in the Milford Hotel in 77. We had invited a few pipers to come but the whole bloody band landed and played a few tunes or ten which brought the house down. So much so that proprietor John Lilly, a mad Englishman, Phoned Hugo Dugan, the disco doorman. You better come down, the place is full of fucking provos. Bernadette was a Republican in the purest sense, dedicated to preserving the language, music and culture. She had a nice job down the city centre in Belfast, a lovely partner, Paul, who was a champion Irish dance teacher, and she had her music, but she was never involved in any of the groups in the armed conflict. So when Bobby Sands died in May 81, it was with a certain surprise she was asked to play at the funeral, but she did so with pride in her tribute to a young man who had sacrificed everything in a dignified and principled journey to his death. Bernadette had no hesitation in officer services and was told to be at a house in Andersonstown, where she met up with the armed colour party and then transported to Twinbrook where the massive crowd awaited. There they formed up at the head of the procession, 100,000 strong, possibly the biggest funeral ever seen in Ireland, similar to Daniel O'Connell's monster rallies in the 1840s and the repeal of the Union protest. The colour party in military fatigues, blackberries, masks and gloves escorted the Cortez to Milltown. Bernadette and the mail paper walked just in front. The iconic, iconic picture of them leaving Twinbrook emphasised the vastness of the crowd. At Andersonstown, the Cortez stopped an armed guard stepped forward and fired rifles over the coffin in time-honoured tradition for the fallen. Then the procession continued on to Milton Cemetery and the final ceremonies. It was a highly tense day for all concerned. The TV pictures flashed around the world. The colour party, the armed salute, the politicos, Adams and McGuinness, the military leadership of the movement as well, and the papers. At the time it didn't seem significant, but these film clips would come back with a vengeance for Bernadette. Thatcher had no sympathy. Bobby Sands was a convicted criminal and took his own life, she told the House of Commons. A mixture of xenophobic misunderstanding of the Irish psyche and personal vendetta against those who had killed her friend Ernie Neve at Westminster. There was no way out. The hunger strikes would continue. A week later, Francis Hughes, a legendary guerrilla fighter, who lived on and off in Letterkenny. In preceding years, died. He was 25. Once again, Bernd had received the call, led the cortege around the hilly townlands near Belay, 
as he was laid to rest. It was going to be a long, long summer. Just nine days later, the news came that both Ray McCreesh, 24, and Pacho O'Hara, 23, had died. And Burndev was off to South Armagh and Derry City, respectively. The crowds might have been smaller, but the pain was the same. For everyone, it was an exhausting time. It was the darkest of times. The following month or so was a period of negotiations between all parties to the equation. If goodwill had existed on the part of the British government, events might have panned out differently, but Thatcher believed that the IRA had played its last card and were going for the jugular. How wrong she was. On the 8th of July, Joe MacDonald, 30, died after 61 days in strike. Burned had made the short journey over to Andersonstown two days later for the funeral. As she played the pipes near St Agnes's Chapel, British soldiers charged in to try and arrest the colour party. There was pandemonium as baton-wielding soldiers fired plastic and real bullets in a desecration of a funeral cortege. It was a despicable action which would be repeated over the next decade, yet no army or RUC funeral was ever attacked. A principle of any war would allow for the burial of combatants on all sides. Obviously, that wasn't the British attitude. Just three days later, Martin Horson was the latest hunger striker to pass away. He was a year younger than Macdonald and lived at Kappa in County Tyrone, a strong Republican area. He died after only 46 days on the strike from dehydration, the shortest time of any of the strikers. Bernadette again made the journey to the Tyrone Hills and while this time the army stayed away, it was still the same sorry, sad journey to his final resting place, where a volley of shots were fired over the grave. Six men had now died, and still there was no sign of any ending of the strike or movement by the British government. But the first chink of light came with the parents of Paddy Quinn taking him off after medical consultation. A way out of the impasse was at hand, and encouraged by Father Fall, it was the beginning of the end of the strike although unfortunately another four strikers would die before it was over. The next day, former Derry GEA star Kevin Lynch died aged just 25. He had endured 71 days on strike, the longest of any of the men at that stage. Bernadette once again was on the road to Dungiven as the INLA man was given a sad send-off, with local GEA clubs to the forefront. Once again, masked men led the salute, marching defiantly, with a volley of shots breaking the dairy air as the papers delivered sad laments in the summer sunshine. The following day, the macabre litany of death continued as Kieran Doherty, Big Doc, aged 25, died. He was the longest on strike at 73 days and had been elected TD for Kevin Monaghan, which helped bring down the government of Charlie Hawhey. A new Big Doc from her days in the 70s his death appeared sadder, sadder as a letter from the British government with a deal, apparent deal, was allegedly in transit but transpired to be fake news. Berndead once again played the pipes at the funeral that has made its way through Andersonstown, followed by thousands of friends and comrades. Whatever the political intrigue going on, the nationalist community stuck with the strikers to the end. Less than a week after the 9th, Later, the ninth death took place. Big Tom McElwee, only 23, died after 62 days. Another Balahi man, he was a cousin of Francis Hughes. Once again, Bernadette and her fellow paper led the cortege through the county dairy village, 
accompanied by the colour party, masks and armed guards, shots fired, last post played, silent dignity as footsteps trod the country lanes. The process had become a regular spiral of death. Twelve days later, the final act of a horrendous year of tragedy took place as dairyman Mickey Devine became the last of the hunger strikers to die. Age 27 and a member of the INLA, he was the tenth to die in Long Cash. It was probably the saddest and most futile as it was felt that the strike was on its last legs at that stage. Bernadette made her way to Derry via Donegal, spent the day before interment. She was exhausted by the whole series of events, but with a certain pride at playing her little part in the whole process. I drove her up to Buncrana the night before the funeral and Councillor Eddie Fullerton brought her into Derry on the morning. Eddie himself would die at the hands of the UDA, death squads with British, British collusion a decade later. We spent a few hours in a wee pub in Buncrana at the end of the main street the night before as Bernadette played a few tunes, a little light relief in the midst of the horror all around us. The funeral in the morning was the final episode of a summer of death. Mickey Devine received full military honours from his comrades in the INLA. The people of Derry came out in their tens of thousands. His wife and children looked on forlornly as Bernadette played the lament of the dead. 1981 was the saddest of years. As the Wolf Tones lamented, Joe MacDonald says, everything is lost and nothing's won. As well as the 10 deaths and hunger strikes, 61 died in the streets in the same period. Innocent civilians, soldiers, RUC, UDR. It was a year of fear and tension, but out of it came the politicization of the Republican struggle and eventually the ceasefires, peace process and the Good Friday Agreement. It mightn't have all been in vain. Unfortunately for Bernadette, my sister events afterwards took a course for the worse. In her workplace, which was mixed but predominantly loyalist, she was recognised from the TV clips as the paper at the funeral and started receiving death threats, told she would be picked up in a black taxi and take up the shankle and her throat cut. It was the time of the shankle of butchers and she had to cross the bottom of the shankle to get to work. It was a frightening period for her. She received little or no support from managers who again were mostly loyalist and eventually she left the job she loved. Over the next few years, her relationship to Paul, who she was engaged, petered out and the music she loved, which brought her so much enjoyment, also went by the wayside as she recoiled into a world of her own. Protected by my parents, but they were unable to help her Finally, a bomb meant for the army went off near the house and blew in the front window just seconds after she had left the room. Her nerves were shattered. The sister and aunt who took my kids in shopping sprees in Belfast when they were young, she was never the same again. Conflict always is victims. It's the nature of war. But all, not, not all victims of conflict are physical. Ah, but sad and bitter was the year of 1981.